Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Today, we are sitting down with Shane O'Neill. And you've probably heard his name before because we just released an episode a couple weeks back with him and Drew Boa. And these guys have become friends. Um, They're more than colleagues. But we're all, you know, similar age range, had porn addictions. We found freedom. And now we are on our missions, our own, I guess, individual missions to help people get clean. Uh, we all have our different approaches. And I brought Shane in because number one, you guys are going to be hearing from him a little bit more often. Uh, probably every couple months, you'll see an episode featuring myself, Shane and Drew. But I, I thought it'd be fun to sit down with him as well, because he has an amazing story. And he has a very different angle. You know, Drew and I have a lot of overlap in our approaches and uh, our functioning and the communities we built. Um, what Shane is doing is is different. It's, it stands out quite a bit more. And so I brought him on for that reason. He has a wild story. Uh, this guy was addicted to heroin, meth, cocaine, um, alcohol, pornography was in the mix, but it was honestly a lot lower in the pecking order. And he just has this, this crazy story. He did not grow up in uh, a drug home or anything like that. He grew up in a pretty good home, but just encountered a lot of pain early on as a child didn't know how to cope and developed a bunch of addictions as a result. And he's been clean now from drugs for I think about 13 years. And I don't know what the length is for porn actually, but he's been clean from that for a long time as well. Um, He hosts the Naked Gospel podcast, which is uh, one of the top ranking podcasts in our space. And they interview, you know, uh, New York Times bestsellers and athletes and um, and all kinds of really fascinating people. Um, but then they also have tons of resources to help people just get free to help local churches serve people in these areas. And so it's very cool what they're doing. Very cool to hear his heart. And uh, the one last thing I'll just say before we jump in, we had a guy on the podcast a couple months back named Cutter Calloway, who's a double PhD in uh, theology and psychology. And, you know, probably one of the smartest people we've had on the podcast to date, and just very articulate in in sort of the, I guess, interaction between theology and psychology. And Shane's background is actually quite similar. He has a degree in theology. He's working on his degree in counseling. And that comes through in the way he talks and the way he sort of approaches things. And so you're going to learn a lot from him while being just awe-inspired by his profound story. So I know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, Without further ado, this is my interview with Shane O'Neill. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with my good friend, Shane O'Neill from Proven Ministries, host of the Naked Gospel Podcast. Shane, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's good to be with you, Sathya. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So this has been fun. I mean, you, uh, well, I think maybe I reached out to you guys a while back when I was promoting the book. Uh, you gave me one of the best compliments I got on the manuscript prior to its launch. And I was super grateful for that. I got to interview on your podcast. And uh, now we've been doing this kind of um, triple threat with me, you, and Drew. And it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I just kind of figured, hey, my audience is going to be hearing from you more and more. 
and they should get to hear you obviously in those episodes but i wanted i wanted a chance for them to get to know you a little bit just one-on-one here so Hmm. i'm super excited to dive in and you are um you're a very well-rounded and well-balanced person um individually the way you handle yourself and in the way you go about ministry and so i'm excited to just dig in a little bit and uh, pick apart that brain so this is going to be fun man Thanks, Cynthia. I, uh, I I genuinely feel similarly about you. You have a uh, your posture is very, very gentle, uh, but you also that doesn't mean uh, you're timid in speech. You know how to direct your words, and I, I, it's 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 interesting because it's very apologetic, but also pastoral at the same time. Just I really admire what you're doing, man. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. So uh, we both know that few people get into the kind of space we're in without some sort of story. And I would love to just kind of set the stage that way just to hear a little bit, because for you, um, while there is pornography and all that stuff as part of your story, it's it's broader than that. You've been through a lot. Um, so can you give us just a, a little synopsis here of what, what's brought you into the space? Sure. Yeah. And feel free to double click on anything you like along the okay. way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a missionary kid. So first five years, uh, I grew up in the Philippines. And uh, in Asia, just underneath China, for those uh, for those listeners who, like me, aren't geographically inclined, uh, three sisters, two older, one younger, uh, little sisters adopted. Uh, she's precious and awesome. Cool. And she Filipino? Uh, no, no, oh, okay. she uh, she isn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a story, but it's okay, uh, it's it's her story. So I just yeah, but yeah, yeah, fair. yeah, and um. Yeah, moved back to well, moved to the states. I, I remember the first time I saw snow. Uh, it was oh wow, yeah. It was colder than I thought. How about that? It was pretty <laughs> and cold. Yeah, and um, yeah, kind of just grew up as a as a good kid, um, doing the right things, pretty friendly, uh, cordial, quick to smile, etc. Uh, there was this story in my head. I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time, but the story went: if you give God. Uh, reverence, if you give him worship, if you follow him, then he'll keep you safe. He'll take care of you, right? Mm. Um, when I was in eighth grade, a series of just bad things happened. My grandfather died. I was close to. It just hurt. I hadn't experienced death yet. Uh, and then uh, a few weeks after that, my aunt committed suicide. And it was the first time I was faced with the idea that life might be harder than it is better. And that they're like the the idea that somebody could could think that there's more hope in in death than an and actually persevering uh, was just new to me. It totally rocked my world. Um, you were in, in eighth that grade, sort you said at the time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then a few weeks after that, this girl that I, for all intents and purposes, as far as I knew at the time, was in, I was in love with her. Uh, she got she she got raped. She got sexually abused. And um, I got I got I was really really hurt. I was just really, really hurt. I was angry and pretty much the exclusive message I got from the Christian community was this happened for God's glory, right? Uh, You need to worship him and say that he's good. And it's like, uh, he raped her. He got her raped for his glory. I'm supposed to bite my lip and say he's good. He made this world and people are killing themselves. And that's his design. I was like, "Uh, I can't do that. I just can't do that. <clears throat> and I just hurt real big. So I started using drugs. Uh, I basically kind of asked the world, hey, what will make me what will make me happy? I just want to be happy. Uh, yeah. They told me sex and 
drugs and money. So I was like, okay, I'll do those things. And, and drugs worked. They insulated me from the pain of the world, <clears throat> both my own and the pain around me. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, yeah, by my senior year, I was addicted to heroin and dying. And um, as Paul would say, the thing that promised me life was killing me. And so mm-hmm. I uh, was baffled. I weighed 100 pounds and was slightly yellow. We end up reflecting the uh, the gods we pursue. We are image bearers that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't want to die because I didn't want to go to hell, but I didn't want to live because life was hell. It was quite a, quite a debacle. No kidding. And uh and you're what 17 at this time you said when you're I was 18 yeah I was my, 18. yeah towards the end of my yeah I was after my senior year I just graduated I was kind of just a nice kid and teachers continued to pass me along even though my grades were abysmal and uh yeah so after after yeah I moved in with some friends and we got the life that we wanted and it was we started going to funerals you know and uh yeah it was it's gnarly hmm. very gnarly still working through working through that. Um, memory is an interesting thing because memory allows, a, it's a kind of a, a, a medium of presence, you know, people you used to know, you still carry them inside you. Yeah. And memory is the faculty that allows for that. And so I, you know, just because I repress something uh, doesn't mean it doesn't live inside me and, and wreak havoc and uh, yeah. flare up in other ways that are unknown to me. So, And these, these yeah. funerals were people that were o- overdosing that's or, right. Yeah. 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 Some of them, uh, some of them killed themselves. Sometimes it was, uh, like a DUI sort of situation. Other times right. it was overdose. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was bad. So I never stopped believing God existed. I just didn't like him, you know? Hmm. Uh, and, uh, why? he, if you don't mind me asking why. Yeah. Like, I didn't like him. Yeah. I didn't like him because, uh, I, I just saw him as duplicitous or nefarious. The idea that all these bad things happen. And just by virtue of him being God, he, he gets to like dictate what good is and what bad is. And I, I'm just, I'm just going to say rape is bad. Right. And if God says that's good, then I'm going to say, you do your thing. I'm going to do mine. I think, I think you're jacked up. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, so, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, after my, after my senior year, uh, like I said, the, the, uh, the prison I was in of not wanting to die, not wanting to go to hell and not wanting to live because life was hell. Didn't know what to do. Didn't have any hope. Didn't know how to even process hope. Um, and uh, God came to me in a dream one night and he showed me his heart. Uh, I didn't know God had a heart and uh, hmm. he showed me his heart and it tore open my heart. I saw, yeah, he, he showed me grieving. He showed himself grieving in a pretty big way. For the things that uh, wreck my insides, you know. Do you mind? Can you, can you describe in whatever detail you're comfortable, Shane? But I'm just curious. What? What? Is, how did that? What was the dream? I guess. What? How did that happen? Yeah, that is the question to ask. Okay, I'd ask the same thing, man. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I. So everyone always asks this. Like, were you high? Um, I was sober. <laughs> I went to. I went to bed sober that night. Um, and I, I go to sleep and. And then I, I wake up and I'm in this really, really massive space. It's huge. I can't see any parameters for how large this space is. And uh, yeah, I just start walking around. I'm pretty baffled because I'm totally conscious. I'm like, wow, I'm conscious in my subconscious. How the heck is this working? I'd never experienced anything like it before. Uh, I was embodied. Like I, I had shape and form, you know, I was, that was me. 
And I'm walking around and I look up and I see God. And I realize that the vast space, this vast limitless space is God. And I'm livid. I'm like, what the heck are you doing here? Like, Hmm. this is my dream. We made a deal. You do you, I do me. Uh, I look a little bit closer. Uh, I let my eyes adjust. And I see that God has kind of this face and his face is in his hands and he's weeping. Hmm. He's just crying, which made no sense. I had no category for that. I thought God was some sort of systematic theology in the sky. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I, I was confused. I was really, really confused. <clears throat> Broke all my categories. Um, I didn't know what to do with my feelings because God didn't feel, you know? Here it is, God's weeping. Uh, I, I asked him, why, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? And he looks at me, uh, kind of just through his hands, and he just says, Shane, you, you reject me, uh, and I honor that. Uh, I have to live with that, and I, I honor that. But, but she'll never know me because you didn't, you didn't tell her. Like, why didn't you tell her? I was very confused. Uh, who who are you talking about? You just said, why did you take the option away from her? Why why did you do that? She'll never get to know me and I'll never get to know her. I start to panic at this point. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he, he takes his hands and he separates space, matter, the ground, whatever. And, uh, and there's this kind of eternally vast distance, a space where God can't rescue. It's just this girl and she's in hell presumably she's yeah Hmm. he can't be with her anymore she can't be with him and and i see my girlfriend at the time uh who she was just really special to me uh she always believed in me and always had a smile for me it was like no matter how bad life got she was still around and uh it was kind of the one good thing. And I saw her down there and I understood God's tears. I snap out of my dream. I'm screaming. I'm crying. I'm a mess. Devin, Devin's actually there. She stayed the night. And I'm like, she's like trying to console me. I'm like, Devin, Devin, you are in hell. God loves you. God loves you. You know, just a mess. But that was the beginning of the end for me. Um, yeah. That was in November. And I had gotten this Casting Crowns album. My parents sent it to me at the time. And uh, they would to sing about this God who, who didn't want me to be alone. And so he experienced desertion for me, a God who didn't want me to be stuck in death. And so he died for me, a God who doesn't want me to be shamed. And so he was shamed for me. Mm. Uh, So he could know what it feels like to be me, Mm. uh, to be human. Um, And I was just like, whenever I listened to it, kind of the, I just like, it was the the closest I could get to peace. And so I'd listen to it like all the time. Hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, just put it together. I was like, oh, this is, this is the God who came to me in my dream. Jesus, Jesus Hmm. is, I had gotten, I had gotten pictures of God uh, and, and the church culture that was brought up in had me filter Jesus through that sort of systematics uh, personality or lack thereof, if you will. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that was, that was in November. I prayed a prayer. I knew I was going to go visit my, my family in December. Uh, they were in Tennessee. I was in Pennsylvania. I knew they knew God and they could introduce me to him. That's how it worked in my head. 
And, uh, but there was no way I was going to make it alive for a month. Um, didn't know how to quit the drugs, et cetera. Okay. And so I just, it was a very simple prayer. God, if you love me and you want me, uh, you're worth knowing you make worth, you make life worth living. I would give my life to you. Uh, but you, you'd have to keep me alive for a month. Uh, you have to keep me alive for a month, but, uh, that's just with, just with the framing that you are like Jesus. If you're not like Jesus and if Jesus isn't a representation of who you are, then I want nothing to do with you. You can just let me die. Mm. Obviously he kept me alive for a month and, uh, (laughs) I went down to Tennessee. I detoxed and withdrawed for a month. I basically sat in a chair. I really couldn't sleep or eat and then tried to figure out what the heck grace was and unconditional love. And uh, my family members would stay up. They'd take turns staying up all night with me, reading scripture, crying on the ground, just Whoa. sweating and detoxing and uh, praying with me. So it was, uh, yeah, it was gnarly. How, how old were you at that time? I was 19. 19. Okay. So, and you're roughly 19 when you have this dream as well? Yeah. Yeah. It was November, December. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Um, I don't want to fast track this too quickly, but I know there's some other things we want to talk about as well. How old are you now, Shane? 32. You're 32. Yeah. So what, what happens post rehab or detox, I guess, to be more specific and um, where does the, where does porn come into this? Cause I obviously... It sounds like it was drugs that were really ruining your life. Was porn in the mix at the time? And and how exactly did that part of the plot play out? Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a, an important question, an easy segue. Um, so I met Jesus. After that month, I never used heroin or any sort of drugs ever again. I haven't. Wow. Um, so I've never been to a rehab. I've never been to a meeting. I've never been on suboxone or anything else and like the statistic for somebody who like gets clean that way and stays clean is like it's like 0.1 percent globally yeah. it's, cr- it's like i'm i'm that you know like i am the yeah. the percentage yeah uh <laughs> it's it's pretty gnarly uh so absolutely yeah miraculous i i'm really grateful i got clean and and there were there were two things i couldn't kick i kicked you know like heroin cocaine like all sorts of gnarly stuff uh, but porn, I couldn't kick. I mm. could not kick porn. Um, yeah, that <laughs> took, it took a long time. It was, I mean, it, it's, uh, I'm really glad that I can say like, once you kick drugs, you can just stay off drugs. Uh, porn isn't like that. You know, sexual integrity is not a one and done people, you know, like they're like, Oh, I'm going to get married. I should take care of this porn thing. And it's like, dude, <laughs> Like, I, uh, I love you. Uh, let's reframe, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, porn, porn's been its own journey for sure. I, I was exposed to pornography when I was, when I was, uh, before I was able to masturbate, I would watch pornography, uh, because I was enchanted and enamored by it. Yeah. It just woke up something in my soul and I was fascinated by it. And then like a year later, my body was able to start masturbating. Mm. Um, so yeah, porn has definitely been, uh, it's interesting. I mean, that that right there helps us to see that po- we use porn medicinally uh, for our souls and not just as a sort of, sort of like erotic release, some mm. sort of chemical release. It's yeah. not just a chemical demand. There's something there's something about it that uh, that captivates the soul. Yeah, and I think people would make that argument for drugs as well. What what is it? Do you think about pornography that makes it so much harder to kick? The the difference. You're totally right. There's a lot of overlap in that um, usually 
usually those things are kind of symptoms instead of like direct causes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an important distinction though between behavioral addiction and chemical addiction. Uh, behavioral addiction, like there's, there's really no sort of like altered state of mind, you know, it's really just a a practice that's formed into your natural self. It's a, it's a discipline. It's a practice of your humanity of how Mm. you do relationships and affection and boredom and whatever. Uh, whereas like, you know, drugs, sure there are triggers. Um, but when you're off the drugs, there's, there's some clarity, you know, like there's a difference. So I I think that's a, that's a, a salient, at least an important nuance. Um, otherwise a lot of overlap. So I'm with you in all of that. Yep. Um, yep. but like sense. pornography, gambling, those behavioral addictions are you know, video games. All of them are pretty pernicious in that they, 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 uh, attach themselves to our sober minds and to we, how we view our identity and how we do human. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So one more question about that and then, and then we'll dive into some of the things we want to talk about, Sure. but what, what actually moved the needle forward for you? What, what was it that finally got you moving in the right direction? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I actually, I actually shared this with you last time. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I, I reckon your audience, it might be new to them. So I, I was sure. seeing a, a therapist, a counselor, and he, um, he had me to do two things that were revolutionary for me. Um, one was <clears throat> he, uh, he told me to masturbate for like the next week as much as I wanted, whenever I wanted, just without porn. Uh, and so I, I did. And then he had me do that the next week. And then like, again, and then very quickly, all of a sudden, uh, for clarity, not in front of the guy, uh, just in my own <laughs> private life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I didn't want to, you know, after a while, I was just like, it lost its luster hmm. and I was fiending for porn not for uh, some sort of chemical release, like not just to get off, right? I wanted porn. And that was a really important, I needed to see that. He needed needed me to see that. I needed to see that. Uh, To see that I wasn't just turning to porn because I have a high libido, right? Because I have a strong sex drive. Uh, I'm turning to porn for all sorts of other reasons. And then we could actually start, it ripped off the veneer. It helped Mm -hmm. me see. And then we could actually start going after those reasons that I do turn to porn Mm -hmm. as a coping mechanism, as a medicine for whatever wounds I have in my soul. So there was that. And then the second one was after, after every, after every session at the end, there's this, this beat up wooden cross with Jesus hanging on it all, all sorts of jacked up Mm. the dudes, the dudes being crucified. And uh, we would take turns. Uh, he would start or I would start You stare at you stare at it. You stare at it until the image sits in your soul. Whenever you're ready, you would just say, Jesus, make me the man you died to redeem. And then you kiss it and then you pass it. And then the other person would do it. Um, it was important for me to see that uh, it's, it's that evil is the absence of good. It doesn't have its own. Like I'm, I'm made in God's image. And my longing for beauty, my longing to know God, uh, is really just a, a perversion. It's a twisting. It's a warping of that good thing, right? And that gave me new categories instead of the do's and don'ts of a sexual ethic, a kind of mm-hmm. what story am I living into? What is my character in that story? Uh, what is God's character in that story? 
what's the end of the story? You know, what are the the wounds? What are the the themes, the hardships? Who are the villains hiding in the shadows? Um, And it invited me into a a bigger and better story, one that was more vivid and true to real life. And uh, it actually was really dignifying. It's like, hey, buddy, you're, you're you're being exploited. And you're partnering with that exploitation. And I want to, like, I'm here. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk out of this with you. I'm not just calling you out of it. I'm right beside you. I, mm-hmm. I will walk with you the whole way through. I know it's dark. I know the way, though. Right? Says Jesus to my soul. Uh, so those two things were really, really significant. That's amazing, man. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty profound. And it's really cool because those are those are two practical things that are undergirded by some really key fundamentals like yeah. understanding the image you're made in like a like true core identity yeah. um but then uh it's it's a neat reverse psychology kind of tactic that he used to have you uh yes. masturbate regularly and and kind of rip off the veneer as you said in the process and get to some of those more causal issues so it's really yeah. cool yeah um in your work with uh proven ministries and the podcast One of the words I've heard you use quite a bit is holistic and kind of a holistic approach, a holistic understanding of sexual integrity. I'm wondering if you can unpack that a little bit because, um, and I I love that you use the word sexual integrity as well. Uh, And I think that that term is evidence of a lot of people's frustrations with purity culture and some of the vernacular that's just been more toxic than it's been useful. But maybe we can, maybe you can start there with like, just give us an, an idea of what you mean when you say sexual integrity, and then talk to us a little bit about what it looks like to approach that holistically. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big question and a really important question. So like pornography has a worldview, you know, like it, it teaches us things. Hmm. Um, there's something philosophers call uh, a fact value split. Um, it's really helpful. Uh, I find it really helpful. So for instance, um, the enlightenment with modernism, uh, said the material world is the only thing that exists. There is, there's nothing other than that, Hmm. uh, which, which robbed meaning and purpose and value from the material world and postmodernism is literally just the next progression of that. It's, it's very natural. It's like, well, if there's no meaning to the material world, then we can do whatever we want with it. (laughs) right? We can do whatever we want with it. I can shape my identity. We can shape the world. We have total entitlement. Um, And so then they, they switched it. They said, okay, well, no values are what's real, but only to you. Uh, And, and the facts are interpreted, which means that they aren't real. They're just subject to interpretation. Um, And so that, that's, uh, that is very evident in something like pornography. That worldview is all over it. I actually have a few of how how this plays out. So, so it is important to to know, like the kind of the the, the narrative of hookup culture is, um, if I feel I might get hurt, and if I get hurt, then I'm a victim. Uh, so, sex without feelings equals empowerment. Right. That's that's the the, the algorithm of hookup culture. Right. Um, And so there when it comes to pornography in particular, I mean, it teaches us without us knowing it or not, it teaches us uh, sexual intimacy and personal intimacy are two different things that body and relationships. So body and relationships are two different things. Sex is different from commitment. Uh, Body is different from meaning. 
uh, the physical from the personal. So it, it teaches us a lot of things. I, I've, I'm married now. I've been married a, a year and two months. And, uh, and porn has taught me that people are replaceable, right? As you scan from one video to the next, to the mm. next, it's, it's taught me, uh, it's taught, it's discipled me into a worldview of what it means to be human and what other people are worth. They're replaceable. Uh, they should cater to me. I was reading the study the other day about, uh, as a woman, she was just, she reviewed like a lot of uh, case studies and, uh, and her study revealed that pornography, pornography actually um, self-objectifies. Like that was a finding that people who view pornography self-objectify and see themselves as kind of a, uh, a longing and release, longing and release. And, mm-hmm. and like that pleasure, hedonism, pleasure is a kind of a right. It's a, it's, the, it's the best medicine for my soul. It's the best yeah, sort of yeah. gospel. It's, the, it's a good news for me. It's good news mm-hmm. for my soul. I'm hurt. I'm bored. I'm lonely. And pornography is there to catch me, mm-hmm. to be present to me, to save me from this moment, from these feelings I, I don't know what to do with. Uh, so there's a, there's a whole worldview um, and there's a whole image of what it means to be human. And it, it leaves us in a, it's, it's a very fractured sort of humanity. It's not holistic in any sort of the way because there are emotions or there are relationships that I'm compartmentalizing, that I'm caging off, that I'm whatever, hiding from, running from, whatever. But regardless, there's no, there's no bravery. There's no courage. There's no vulnerability. There's no relationship in pornography. Yeah, that's pretty profound. And um, the word that I've always had in my mind is programming. Like, we don't realize how much porn is programming our minds to view the world exactly the way you so beautifully laid it out. Um, that was really helpful. So, okay, if this is the worldview that pornography provides, um, what is the worldview of sexual integrity and kind of a biblical approach? Like, what are some of the building blocks of that? Yeah, so this is good. So, okay, so... Uh... Okay, so there are there's like a, a growing industry right now, uh, just in secular cultures. It, it's, in, it's in the West of um, touch services, right? right. Uh, you can hire somebody to basically cuddle with you. It's like a cuddling service. Um, really, really strict policies around it can't be sexual at all. But like, like it's crazy. S- single people, married people, old people, young people, they're all taking advantage of the service. Uh, not in a pejorative sense. They're all using this, this service. Um, and one of their taglines, one of the, uh, the, one of the businesses within that industry, their logo is we're so sex obsessed that we're touch deprived. It's just mm-hmm. wild. It's like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so there's this, uh, we've, we've taken touch and we've, We've made it just sensual and we've robbed it from its familial possibility, familial context. Hmm. Um, So made in the image of God, we are image bearers. We're going to reflect whatever we pursue. I mean, we, we watch movies and we, we empathize. That's the power of a movie. We empathize and we, we see it that we see the world that way. We see the world through their eyes. We feel what they feel. We come out telling their jokes and telling their stories, right? The, the, ethics the way that they do human impacts us and we eat we mirror them mm. so we are image bearers this isn't just like some sort of religious assertion but it also means that our bodies aren't just they're not just physical they're also theological 
Hmm. Um, we're made in the image of God. He made them male and female. Um, so first off, it's, it, I think it's, I think it's, re- I know it's really important uh, that I start understanding my sexual identity, um, not just as erotic. I am a son. That is a gendered, that is a, that is a gendered identity aspect of who I am. I am a brother, right? Yeah. I'm a male friend. Uh, and that great, offers great dignity and it, it, it uh, creates kind of a, a comprehension to what it means to be a man or a woman and to live out of your gendered identity without it, it necessarily being sexual. Hmm. Um, there's something really deep inside me. It, it, it's written on my bones. It's, it's seared upon my soul and it is longing to be a safe man. Hmm. I want to be safe. I have three sisters. I don't have any brothers. Uh, I've spent a lot of time exploiting women, you know, through porn and whatnot. And I see the women around me and I see the church and I see the culture and I just want to be safe. I want to like be able to offer a stranger on the street, a smile that means that just means that I see them and care about them, you know, yeah. and the women in my faith family, my faith community, like I want to be able to hear them without them thinking and without my, my heart uh, having ulterior motives. Yeah. I long to be safe. Uh, that image right there, just from Genesis 1, um, tethers together uh, my sexual identity and my anthropology, what it means to be human, uh, mm. in a way that is not just sensual or erotic. Uh, I need that because I need that story because that longing is deep inside of me. Uh, I just didn't have any expression for it. I didn't know how to do it until I read Genesis one and understood it that way. Um, and, and the Bible is a marriage story. It's a, it's a love story, right? It starts with a marriage and then it ends with a marriage and the yeah. gospel is union. Like anytime you see in the new Testament, uh, Christ in you, uh, Jesus was in the father, the Holy spirit will come and be in you. It's, it's intentionally using erotic language. It's actually using penetrative language. Hmm. Um, it's yeah, because that's the only way to communicate the sort of relationship. That's, that's the language of Jesus and Paul to say, this is the intimacy of it. Right. And Paul reiterates that there in Ephesians, uh, where he talks about how marriage is a reflection of our relationship with God. Hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a window. It's a window by which we look through to see the sort of relationship God wants to have with us. Union, God wants to marry us, come inside of us, and birth eternal life inside of us, right? Within us. And it culminates in in a wedding feast and a marriage. And that is the gospel. It is union. And learning to host host God's spirit, right? I, I force him to dwell inside of me with a lot of jacked up feelings, a lot of jacked up stories. And he does it willingly. He does it willingly. He loves being with me. And I just want to show God's spirit hospitality. So what is it like? I'm a priest and my body is a temple. I get to host God, but I also host a lot of other things. And he wants to be present to that. He's not judging me for it. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to do it with me. He wants to, he wants to know me. Uh, and that dignifies what I go through. It, hmm. it, it honors me. And that he wants to know me that way. And that is union. That's the gospel. And that's, that's part of my priesthood. That's all of our priesthood. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I'll stop there, but <laughs> a lot there, but yeah, that's a, that's at least a, 
a picture with with maybe three aspects. Yeah, it's really cool. I like what you're saying about union as well. Um, and we see that throughout scripture. I think especially when you dive into the Greek, it it becomes very clear just how personal and intimate and intricate a lot of the languages that describes the type of connection we are to have with God in a new covenant. So uh, I like the way you laid that out, man. Mm-hmm. Talk to the people who have grown up in um, somewhere in the middle here where it's like maybe they didn't fall super deep into sexual sin. So maybe they don't have a totally warped worldview caused by pornography and and the like. Um, but they hear you describing sexual integrity and they're like, oh, I'm not there either. They're somewhere in the middle of maybe having some some rigid boundaries growing up around sex, a little bit of discussion, but never really a holistic approach. How does one make the journey to that place of a better, more grounded perspective of what sexual integrity really looks like in their life? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's an important question. And it is it is circumstantial to a, to an extent. So yes. So for me, being a safe man, uh, it's just a part of my imago day. You know, like I, I'm okay to say not everyone has to have that desire. I think everything everyone should have. I I would say that everyone should have that desire. Who's a male, but uh, but they don't need to feel it fierce as though it's the life's mission. You know, mm-hmm. um, but we all prioritize and long for different things. Um, mm-hmm. Starting there is helpful for me. So so here, okay, so. Um, if we're looking at sexual sexuality within, then we're, we're going to talk about maybe three options. Uh, culture gives us two. So you've got on one side, you've got kind of the, the Christian answer, um, which was in purity culture. And this narrative still exists. It's, it's a kind of a starvation diet, right? right? It's like, it's, you just don't just, just don't, it's bad. It's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and you just starve yourself, right? Like lock the fridge, just lock it. Mm-hmm. Um, your stomach will shrink. Eventually you'll stop wanting food. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, on the other side, then you've got a, a fast food diet, which is hookup culture. It's a fast food diet. Eat whatever you want as much as you want it. <laughs> all the grease, all the sodium, it doesn't matter. Eat it all, right? Yeah. Consume it. it. It's cheap. It's so cheap. Anyone, anyone can have it. Um, so you've got those two things. And then you've got Jesus who says, join me at the wedding feast of the lamb. Mm. Right. So there is, there is a feast. Uh, there is a, there's, there is an answer to all the longings that we have. They will be satisfied. They're God given and they're God like, Mm. and they will have a telos. They will have a, a, in the consummation of the ages, uh, that wedding feast will satiate all the longings and desires that we have. And we get to start practicing that now together. Hmm. Right. So, uh, so like confession, for instance, even just reframing confession. Um, so confession is something we do typically after we mess up. It's like a, like a kind of a cultural shaming within, uh, yeah. Christian, Christian communities. Uh, and we don't really have a context for like preventative where it's like, Hey dude, my heart is wandering this way. Uh, I'm just going to tell you, I want to be in the lights. You're welcome to help me process it if you want, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of freedom and dignity in being able to do that, hmm. um, and which is interesting because uh, the dopamine from pornography that creates neural wiring, uh, one of the only things that can offset and rewire the those neural pathways is oxytocin, hmm. and oxytocin is released when 
in moments of vulnerability, when we feel seen and when we are seeing, it happens when a mother and a baby are breastfeeding, right? When a baby yep. is, it's like its first instinct is food and relationship. And when it lock eyes with a mother, that's why the, the like they stare at each other and they can't help it. They're locking eyes. Um, it's, it's wiring its brain. And they actually have a lot of studies in Australia right now because a lot of women are like giving birth and then doing like uh, selfies, selfies. Um, so looking at a nice. camera and it's interesting because in the picture, the baby is trying to make eye contact, right? They're always wow. trying to make eye contact, but the mother is looking at a digital a digital screen of meaning that is sabotaging our relationships. Right. And there's like studies now because they're just noticing that it's why like, like babies are growing up to have really strangely wired brains when it comes to this stuff. And oxytocin is that it's, it's released during sex uh, when you make eye contact with your spouse. Um, But it is also, again, in moments of vulnerability. So when I confess to Mm. you after the fact or before the fact, I am revealing myself to you. I, I I'm afraid to be seen but I'm going to let you see me. I'm going to hope. I'm just going to hope that you really do love me. Mm. And then you do see me and I see you. Oxytocin is released. It starts to rinse away and reform what's what's robbed, what's perverted because of pornography. Mm. Um, Community. Like, I mean, some people are just like, oh, I just really want to have wholesome relationships, you know, which is like really good, really good because Pornography just like just robs us of that. We spill our passion to a two-dimensional image. Like yeah. we don't give it to anybody. You're like the most intimate, like, like, yeah. Ah, okay. So <laughs> there's that. Um, and then I guess just uh, the third thing would be so confession community and then Christ. Uh, whatever you're staring at is your God. Uh, somebody can figure out what you worship by figuring out how you orient your time, your life, um, what you're pursuing, you mm. know. Um, <clears throat> Eugene Peterson that the, said that the, the kind of the, the great idol of our generation is our addiction to busyness. Yeah. Uh, I experienced that with pornography because as soon as I was done, I wanted to avoid the shame and guilt and I would jump onto different stimulants. I'd jump right into YouTube or Facebook or whatever, just to like, get, like tr- again, trying to rinse away my own sin of what I just performed. Mm. And that happens with our, our binge, binge culture when it comes to Netflix, Hulu, whatever. Um, so like the stuff is holistic. It's shaping us. You don't just have to watch porn to be shaped by this and to get an image of what it means to be human. We are image bearers. Um, yeah. And we're going to reflect whatever we pursue. Some, yeah. It's just as simple as that. That's really good, man. Yeah. Really good. Confession, connection, Christ. No. Sure. Community. Right? community, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Confession, community, Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So I, I'm curious for you, like, because um, you guys have obviously, you have quite a reach. Uh, a, a lot of your targets are within local church environments. And this was something that we got talking about a little bit with Drew in our last three-way interview. And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, through just, I think, your your angle, kind of your perspective. But what is what do you see happening in the church the next twenty years? Or um, I don't I don't mean it predictive. I mean it more in the sense of like, what would you like to see happen in the church in the next twenty years? Because I know this is sort of tattooed on the hearts of proven men ministries and what you guys are doing. And I'm just curious, you know, what are you guys dreaming about as we continue to you know try to propagate this message of sexual integrity and a kind of more well balanced approach? What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's a big question. 
I'll, I'll give an answer. It, I guess it just needs to say up front mm-hmm. um, that we're still we're still trying to get eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, yeah. There's an aspect, and it needs to be said of just like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, a, a big part of why we do what we do, what I do, what I do with with the Naked Gospel podcast is to reimagine uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus um, with our affections, our bodies, our relationships, our sexuality. Um, so we have like, you know, former porn stars on who were saved by Jesus to see like, okay, what, what did he give you? You know, mm-hmm. like we need to hear this. We need to catch this. This is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have mothers and fathers on, we have New York times bestselling authors. We explore like a lot of ground because we've like, we know Jesus is the answer, right? We know he's the end, but the road to him is filled with landmines and potholes. And we're just getting jacked up along the way. Yeah. Like all of us, everyone, everybody. Yeah. So that's the disclaimer about that. <laughs> um, our vision is to see a revival of sexual integrity throughout the entire Bride of Christ. Hmm. Uh, the Bride of Christ is a potent image for me. Uh, it has a lot of kind of existential purchase upon my person. Hmm. Um, the Bride of Christ, yeah, she is in lingerie. She's throwing herself every which way. She's giving herself to everyone and anyone and allowing anyone inside of her you know Hmm. um and we just long to to hold her and not violate her uh to clothe her to clean her up to bathe her um and present her to jesus other than she is right now yeah other than she is right now that's our vision um but yeah we want to empower the the church to actually know covenants um like we are in covenant with one another. Like this matters. Yeah. We're not making it out of out of this alive unless we really start revealing ourselves and taking Jesus seriously and learning how to just listen and be present to one another. Yeah. Just let each other hurt. Like like uh James 5, I mean, right where it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you might be healed. It talks about um weep with those who weep, right? And rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah. That is spiritual formation. Yeah. Um so uh, yeah, so we we do we long to see it within within relationships, you know, because hmm. we don't want people to like come to us just digitally or just in a book, because it's like, well, the absence of a relationship is what got you into this bind to begin with, all yeah. of us into this bind. And so, what does it look like to like forge healing within the context of relationship? Because that is a part of the healing that we need. Hmm. We need to reinculturate ourselves in the way of relationship. Yeah. Um. I think. Uh, this is this is a personal value and and others on the team like we're in this together we we long to we long to see christians confess first mm-hmm. uh the southern baptist convention just had that review come out a month ago about all yeah. the abuse and exploitation that pastors within that denomination have been covering up for years and years even the yeah. former president of the southern baptist convention it's just uh it's just jacked up it's it's jacked up on so many levels. It it hurts real big. The Ravi Zacharias situation, mm-hmm. like he was the apologist with a heart, yeah. you know, and it was just gave me so much hope. My graduate degree was in apologetics, and yeah, I just looked up to the guy. So many people are just brains without any sort of like sense of affection or emotion, but not <laughs> Ravi. And then to like just find out that he was treating women like that and just such a predator, I, I was like. I just, yeah, I don't. I didn't know his soul. I don't know his soul. Um, yeah. I, I didn't know him at all. 
I don't know his pain. I don't know what he was running, running from, <clears throat> but I, I, I wish I, I long for us. We long to forge relationships of covenants uh, of sexual integrity within the church and to create a culture that confesses first, not when we're find out, not when we're discovered, not when we've messed up mm-hmm. before we've messed up. I mean, John Piper, I remember it's like 10 years ago, he took a sabbatical from uh, being the pastor at his church um, because he sensed pride in his heart. That's it. He just sensed pride <laughs> and he didn't want to let it grow. So he's like, Hey, yeah. I need a, I need to take some time off. I need to take months, maybe a year off just to address this and be seen. And it wasn't, it was preventative confession. Yeah. You know, it's so cool. Like he didn't wait till his pride beat the heck out of somebody. And then, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so cool. those two things, those two things. Yeah. It makes a how lot of you, sense. How would you answer that, that question, Sathya? What is, what are you building towards? What do you, what do you want to see? I'm really passionate about leaders getting getting right, uh, which is why like I'm I'm echoing everything you're saying. I think about um, yeah, like uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias. That one was really tough for me. That was quite devastating uh, for a lot of the same reasons, and um, you know even some of the other leaders as well, like a Brian Houston. There's a, a local leader here in Canada named Bruxy KV. Um, some of these names have surfaced that are people that I still respect deeply. Um, but it's different. It's different when you know that's been going on. And um, and I think, to me, I see them as the gatekeepers, you know, for the, the larger body of Christ, bride of Christ. And I think um, that's where I'm particularly passionate. And I don't think we have an answer to that yet, you know, and I think that's the thing I, I'm dreaming about for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other thing, and this is where I've really put the the onus on my shoulders, is just uh, to get to get safer messages out there around sexuality in a Christian context. Mm-hmm. And um, and so for me, that's why I'm like, yeah, I will shout about what we're doing from the mountaintops because I want mm-hmm. people to to hear it in a way that's going to be healthier and more productive for them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the part that we all play, you know, especially you and I who have a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are the things I think about for sure. I'm curious, Cynthia, um, can I ask you one more question? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Go for okay. it. Yeah, so I, I, I'm curious... Um, so my wife, we were recently married. I have covenant eyes on my computer. Uh, love the safeguard. It just takes away the option, which is helpful. Yeah. Um, there isn't one on her computer. She works at that time. She was working as an ER nurse, 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. She was about to leave for work. And I saw that her computer was out and mm-hmm. she doesn't have covenant eyes on her computer. And I was like, right. oh, my. Oh, my God. Like my heart wants to watch porn on her computer and that will sit inside of me for 12 hours while she's gone. Right. And I literally thought of the dopamine oxytocin thing. And I was like, oh, like this is an opportunity. Like if I'm brave, I can rewrite our story. I can rewrite my story. I can rewrite my, my neural pathway. Hmm. I can, there's a really cool decision in front of me. Uh, and I had plenty of reasons not to say anything to Kaylee, you know, just like fear. How will she react? I, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I'll just, I'll just be courageous. I'll do, I'll be, I'll be brave. And so I went to her and I told her and she just stared at me and she's, <laughs> she said, okay. And she got her, her laptop and went to work. And then like 20 minutes later, she sends me this video and she's just like, Shane, thank you for fighting for us. Thank you for yeah. believing in us. Thank you for revealing yourself to me and not being afraid. Wow. Um, I didn't know how to respond, but you also didn't make the decision for me, right? You gave me my own agency, you humanized me. Uh, thank you for fighting for us and wow. helping, helping to rewrite our story. So I, I'm curious where, 
Uh, and Paul was just, I, so King David was such a mighty man, but the thing that brought him low was lust, right? Um, where, how, how you understand bravery in the, in the, in the walk of vulnerability with, when it comes to just transformation, uh, vulnerability is definitely kind of like the, the canopy for me that, that hosts transformation. Yeah. And the road to it is for me, again, bravery and courage. But I, I was, I, I'm curious to know how you understand it. I do see that kind of our, our leaders in the church neutered because we're spending our passion on an empty hole that's not giving anything back. Mm-hmm. And so I was just wondering where, how you understand the place of courage and bravery in the way of vulnerability and transformation. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the fundamental, it's not, it's not vulnerable unless it's courageous. Mm-hmm. The two go hand in hand. I often like to think of the the Latin word for vulnerable, uh, vulnerable, which is woundable. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we've made, I, I'm actually drifting away from the use of the word vulnerability, um, mm-hmm. just because of a lot of the connotations that have come with it. The word itself, like in its purest mm-hmm. essence is fine. It's just become mainstream. And sometimes there's a dilution there. Totally. Um, and the reason is because I see a lot of people being vulnerable. I heard somebody talking about how to grow social media following, and he was like, vulnerability is it right now. Like, if you want to grow your following, you got to be vulnerable, you know? And it's like, oh, we've made this into something that it's really not. And what he was actually saying, and what most people are saying when they're vulnerable, is I'm I'm airing my dirty laundry. You know, I'm 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 talking about the really hard parts. And um, in some contexts, that does actually require courage, but not always. If you're doing it to grow a social media following, very extreme example, but yeah. there may not actually be a lot of courage involved in that process. Is it really that vulnerable still? Um, for guys in our community, we're always like, you know, if, if you confess a relapse, that takes a little bit of courage for sure. But when it's when it's week in and week out, the, the courage isn't in confessing your relapses anymore. The, the courage isn't getting actually like a lot more transparent about what was going on underneath the surface? What were the thoughts, the temptations, and everything else? And so that's the word I am drifting towards, um, you know, away from vulnerability towards the word transparency, because I think transparency is actually to tie this whole conversation together, Shane. That is that is where Imago Day really is in its full expression, is when we're transparent, which means that all of the flaws, all of the failures, and all of the fantastic qualities that God has given to us are in full display. And yeah. That's, I think, what I long to see, you know, and I don't know what the answer is. Like, there's a reason the local church is the way it is. There's a reason that church pastors don't have all of the outlets that they probably should have, you know, to get to get the, the I don't know, the help and the support and the resources that they need. So there's reasons for it. Um, but that's, I think, that's that's what ties all this together is, um, is us somehow learning to be transparent. Hmm. No, that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because yeah. you can't, you can't see... You can't see it through a window unless it's polished and clean, right? Like you have exactly. to address it. Like you have to, like, if you want to, if you want to see me, then I got to let you see me. Uh, yes. So I, I think, I think the language has a lot of, um, uh, it has a lot of explanatory power and scope. It's really, yeah. it's really good. Thanks, Cynthia. No, for sure, man. Um, and th- dude, this interview has gotten me really excited to keep doing this with you and Drew, because mm. uh, you're a wealth of knowledge. I, I didn't really, um, I didn't understand actually the depth that there was to you. I, I knew there was depth, but it's been cool to hear you uh, just articulate some of your thoughts. And um, you have a very 
uh, nice integration of theology, um, but psychology in there as well. I know you're studying to become a counselor, mm. and um, and it's really cool. And then the fact that all that is sort of undergirded by uh, a ridiculous story, man, of addiction and yeah. um, and pretty crazy recovery is is amazing. Yeah, Shane. Mm-hmm. For people who want to find out more about you, more about what you're doing, what you're up to, uh, what are some ways that they can do that? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you put. You gave me a couple links, so I can. We can start there. Like I know you have the podcast. Obviously, there's ProvenMinistries.org, the Sex Talk. Um, talk us through some yeah. of those. What What are some ways for them to connect? Sure. I I, uh, I I love your ministry enough to say to anyone who's listening. Uh, don't don't use any of this as a substitute for what you're what you're receiving from Jesus through Sathia. Oh, so that was the uh, the silence of consideration. Um, <laughs> but yes, the 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 naked gospel. I I I love the naked gospel. I love being able to do that. Um, the counter image to pornography will always be a naked man dying on a cross for you. That will sober sober <laughs> your heart and your mind, and it will. Yeah, it's a corrective to my flesh. It's a corrective to my longings to see to see the pain on his face and yet the compassion mm-hmm. when he looks at me. Mm-hmm. I, I need that image. It reconditions me. Um, and so the naked gospel is where we reimagine. That's where we long to look and to see. Um, yeah, uh, Proven Men is awesome. Uh, I'm the editorial director over there. So I, I write uh, content, articles, blogs. Uh, we do work within churches. Um, we go in and train uh, <clears throat> leaders to love their people well, their parishioners. Um, we partner with universities and different things. So we create a lot of resources. Our latest resource is the Sex Talk, uh, thesextalk.com. It is awesome. We <laughs> basically spent a year and saved up a lot of money to travel around and uh, pay experts talking to different aspects of the sex talk because wow. even you know the sex talk is a misnomer as though parents have one conversation and then they're done and uh, this conversation is intimidating culture is intimidating the industry of sex and the ethos of it within our culture and society is uh, terrifying and it's 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 easy to feel like it's bigger than family it's bigger than any influence you could have on your kids mm. and uh it's just not true. So we created this resource to help equip parents. Yeah, very cool, man. Very cool. We'll put links to everything in the show notes. Our audience is going to continue to hear from you, which is really exciting for me. But dude, thanks for offering some time today for a little one-on-one conversation. This was really nice. For sure. And Thea, just real quick, thanks for um, practicing what you preach. Uh, I feel like uh, my soul knows that you want to see me and that it's safe for you to see me. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot of grace in here. There's a lot of authentic salvation. Jesus is here. So I'm just really grateful. Thank you for uh, your courtesy. Thanks for wanting to hear my thoughts. Thank you for processing with me. I, I do. I feel, I feel honored and I'm grateful for you. Oh, thanks, man. Likewise. Well, there you have it. That was my interview with Shane O'Neill. And man, I really, really appreciate that guy. He's so smart, uh, but very humble, very down to earth. And, you know, there's there's some people for me where you interview them and, uh, you know, like you guys are going to hear an interview soon um, from, or actually you just heard one from Mike Signorelli and he and I just like clicked right off the bat where it's like, oh, this is a friend and um, and we, we bonded on like just the way we see life and there's so much overlap and anyways, it was really cool. Um, Shane for me is a friend who sees life very differently. Um, the bond is still very special. It's, it's just as, as important to me. 
but it's very different. And so I, I love sitting down with people like that. Anyway, uh, what I want you to do, guys, is I want you to go check out their podcast, Naked Gospel. And I'd love for you to check out their website as well, provenministries.org. Um, they have some more resources. And I think if you're if you're in recovery still, you probably can't get your hands on enough resources. I don't think you should commit to doing all of the resources that are out there. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what I'd like to suggest is a little bit of diversity um, is going to help you early on to try to pinpoint or narrow down what is the right or, or the best solution for me personally. And so I want to encourage you to, uh, to dive into these resources, take a look at what's out there. And I also want to remind you that we have uh, one of the best resources available for really resolving the root issues, identifying them, tackling them head on, and taking huge steps towards that place of freedom. And that is called The Last Relapse. You can get a download of it at thelastrelapsebook.com. It is a full-fledged book. Uh, this is not some chintzy PDF that I threw together overnight. Um, we spent about 14 months altogether from start to finish working on The Last Relapse, getting it out, paid over $10,000 to get this thing done really well, um, and we give it away for free. So it's at thelastrelapsebook.com, and uh, we will start charging for it eventually, so I encourage you to get your hands on it while you can, while it's free, at lastrelapsebook.com. That's everything, guys. Much love to you. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.